0: Amen, would you take your Bibles and open them to the book of Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight in a Bible study that I've entitled, there is no condemnation for those that are in Jesus Christ. Your relationship with Jesus Christ deals with the condemnation that comes in your life. Now, condemnation, the word itself, is a heavy and burdensome word. You know, when you think of the word condemned, you think, well, houses are condemned. And when a house is condemned, it's to be torn down and never used again. Not only are houses condemned, but criminals are condemned. To never leave prison or to go spend many years in prison. The word condemned literally means a decision against someone, a judgment. Webster puts it this way, to declare reprehensible or to declare wrong or evil to pronounce guilty, to bring a sentence upon someone, or even the Webster's Dictionary even uses the definition to doom someone, to bring doom on someone. And it's a heavy word. So let me ask you, have you ever felt condemned? Have you ever felt like a decision was made against you? Or have someone declare you to be guilty? Remember the last time you were headed down the road, minding your own business? And you saw those flashing lights behind you in your mirror. And they weren't for someone else. They were for you. You look at the lights, and then where do your eyes go next? Right to the speedometer. I mean, it's all natural. Your your eyes go to the speedometer, your foot comes off, and then if you put it on the brakes, you're already busted, and it's already too late. And there you are. You feel busted. You feel like a. I know it makes me feel like being a kid in the principal's office, which, as a kid, I spent a lot of time in the principal's office. I deserve to spend time in the principal's office. And so there you are. You pull over. You put your hands on the steering wheel, and you are pull the wind. You know, you roll the window down, and the officer comes up and says, "Hey, how are you? Can I see your driver's license, your registration, and..." There you are as they walk away and you wait, and you're beginning to calculate now what's it going to cost for your insurance, how hard it's going to be to write that check, and the officer finally comes back after running everything and says, sir, ma'am, I'm just going to give you a warning this time, but you know this area has a lot of kids playing in it, and you need to slow down, and then everything changes. You begin to worship the Lord, hallelujah, thank you, grace, what a relief. Now I'm gonna use cruise control all the way home. I'm never gonna speed ever again in the rest of my life. And you know that feeling of relief, that feeling of feeling, you know, it's just like, man, thank you, Lord. Multiply that by 10 billion, because that's what Romans chapter eight, verse one is in the spiritual realm. Where you have that sense of knowing you're wrong, and knowing you've made a mistake, and knowing what you deserve, and what you've deserved, and yet not getting what you deserve. In Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation, none. And that's what he writes here, Paul does, as he writes to the Romans. He says, there is therefore now, circle that word, now, no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, But according to the spirit. The battle gets so heavy. The spiritual war so difficult in our lives. And it's easy to get sick and tired of fighting. To no longer want to be in the battle of the flesh against the spirit. It gets heavy because in the battle we don't always win. There's not always success. And it's easy to get in the realm of feelings, and when you're in the realm of feelings, then it begins to feel like you'll never make it, it's too much. And then when a failure comes, which failure will come to all of us, there's a sense of guilt and shame that can easily lead to the heaviness of condemnation. But for those in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Your past sins are forgiven. Your present sins are forgiven and your future sins are forgiven. The Bible teaches that there is no condemnation. The word no, now this is a time for a pastor to make a real easy joke. And that's, if you look it up in the Greek, no means no. But let me give you the deeper sense of this word. The word no here means no possibility for condemnation that's just not available to you. Not to be taken, none, zero, no possibilities. Salvation in Jesus Christ is the whole package. You're not saved a part and a piece at a time. When a man and a woman is born again, he saves you and he saved me as a whole package. Because God doesn't work in time like we do. God doesn't work in a past, present, future kind of environment because God is outside of time. He's always the great I am. Everything is now to him. You and I, we live life uh, in a linear plane, and we live today, tomorrow, and yesterday. But God is outside of time. He lives in the eternal now, and he saves you knowing everything about you. Too many Christians, and perhaps some of you listening to me now, Too many believers live under a sense of condemnation that they have done something wrong and that God just cannot forgive them. And some even go far to say that God won't forgive them. Now, before we move on to other parts of our study, I I believe you should jot these down because I want to give you some signs and symptoms to look out for in your life if you are dealing with condemnation. Because you may be on the fence right now, you go, well, I don't know, I don't really deal with condemnation, I don't really beat myself up, I don't. Now, if you're a person prone to condemnation, these are things to look out for in your life. Maybe you don't use the word condemnation, but you can look out for these in your life. Number one, when you deal with condemnation, you always feel guilty. You really deal with this guilt conscience. You lean on the side of guilt. Whether or not you've even done anything wrong, you feel guilty. It doesn't ever seem to go away. Number two, someone that deals with condemnation is often motivated by guilt. Guilt moves you. When someone lays a guilt trip on you, you spring into action. It moves you. And even if someone doesn't lay a heavy trip on you, it gets turned into a guilt trip thing in your own heart. And it moves you. Because you interpret things from a guilty perspective. Number three, those that deal with condemnation are often people pleasers. People pleasers. When you do good, you expect people to tell you so. Or you're always wanting to be accepted, appreciated, noticed, applauded. And when you're not, you feel bad about yourself. And when you feel bad about yourself, that's one step away from condemning yourself. Number four, people that deal with condemnation feel like God is mad at them. You feel like God is mad at you. The mistakes that you've made are always plaguing you. And when you sit down to read your Bible, you feel like God is mad at you. When you start to pray, you feel like God's mad at you. You, you actually truly have a sense that God is displeased with you. If you're married, and your spouse is a little farther along than you, it, gets, it, it feels like this, God is not mad with her or with him, but he's always mad with me. Number five, you, if you deal with condemnation, you never feel like you do enough. You never feel like you do enough. Like for example, in the context of church or even outside of church, you could serve hundreds and hundreds of hours, you could pray all night long, But you could still leave that time wondering if you should have done more. So like say you made a commitment and you said, I'm going to go on a five-hour prayer walk. And so you make the five-hour prayer walk. And instead of coming home and just being so encouraged by praying for five hours, walking while you're doing it, you think, oh, I could have done six hours. And you beat yourself up because you always feel like you could do more. Or you should have done more. Number six And this is something we'll get into our next Bible study, but those that deal with condemnation seem to always live in the past. Not the good past, but the bad past. The things that you've done are always on your mind, even if they were done 25 years ago, and it's been long since resolved. They've enslaved you. And there are more to add to this list, but these are the ones that seem to pop up time and time again. Let me repeat them. Number one, you have a sense of always feeling guilty. Number two, you move and motivated by guilt. Three, you're a people pleaser. Four, you feel like God's mad at you. And five, you never feel like you do enough. And number six, you live in the bad past. The bad past. Listen, if you've made mistakes, if you've sinned and you've asked for forgiveness, God has forgiven you for your sin. The forgiveness of God comes with repentance. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So the real question is, are you in Christ? The real question is, is are you, like it says in verse 1 here, in Christ Jesus? You go, well, Ed, I don't understand the question. Well, let me ask you it this way. And you can answer this yes or no. Now, of course, you guys on the radio or online will answer it differently. But let me ask you, it's, it's not as hard as it sounds. Are you in Christ Jesus? So uh, let, me ask it, let me ask you a different question that you can answer right away. And I want you to answer it loud and proud, okay? Are you in this building? Yes. Well, so you guys, this side said you're in this building. I'm sorry about you guys. Let me try again. Are you in this building? Yes. Was that hard for you to answer? Because you're either in this building or you're not. So there are people yelling right now in their cars, no. And we respect, we under. you know you're not in this building. But then we would say, are you in the car? And you say, yeah, that's me. I'm in the car. Great. That's not a hard question to answer. Because you know where you are. And I believe one of the places of condemnation that gets to us the most is we either forget or refuse to acknowledge that we are in Christ Jesus. You're either in or you're not. You're either born again into the body of Christ or you're not. And so here's what happens. You begin to examine your behavior and your mistakes. You go, well, you know, I don't know because I blew it this week or I don't know because I've got these thoughts or I don't know. You need to dispel the I don't know and you're either in Christ or you're not now If I were to ask that question, I think the same question are you in Christ most of the room would say yes But I suspect that some of you are not and you know that You would have to say no And so the things that I'm speaking to you today are actually magnified in your life The weight of guilt and condemnation to a person apart from Christ is pretty heavy and it makes for a very hard life. You see, when it comes to condemnation, the key question is, have you been born again? And I don't mean, were you raised in a religious home? I don't mean, were you baptized as an infant? I don't mean, if you're sitting in this room, because it represents a church to you, that because you're in church, that you're in Christ. I don't mean that, I'm not asking if you've been to church all your life. I'm I'm not asking if your grandmother was religious and you've said a prayer here or there. I'm not asking you, are you as bad as the, you're not as bad as the person next to you. I'm not as bad as, I'm not asking you if you're not as bad as the worst person you can think of. The question is, have you been born again? Do you have the life of Jesus Christ in you? Have you repented of your sins and acknowledged God as your creator And His Son, Jesus Christ, is your Savior. Have you surrendered your life? Pastor Ian began our service today by asking you to raise your hands. I actually looked around the room. And in the raising of the hands, it is a significant symbol of surrender. It was a significant symbolism of surrender. It was different when he, it, it, you probably didn't notice it, but I purposely looked around when we do a baby dedication and we have a ba- I ask you to lay hands and the p- posture of hands when you do that from my perspective is like this. You guys stick your hands out like this because in your mind you're doing what I asked you to do and and by way of sitting in the chair you're laying your hands on that baby and on the family that's standing and it's a big difference. But tonight when Pastor Ian asked you to raise your hands it wasn't out like this, your hands were up like this. It's a place of surrender. And and being a born again believer is a place of surrender. You're no longer living your life your way, doing things your way. It's not a distinction of becoming perfect and not making mistakes anymore, but it's a life of surrender. It's the same as you being in this building. You are in this building, you're not somewhere else. You're in the building, in this moment. Well, being in Christ Jesus is that's the mom, every moment of our lives. If you've seriously And decisively ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and forgive you of your sins, confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart, you can say that you're in Christ. And the benefits of being in Christ are overwhelming. The benefits of living in Christ, well, we'll get to it in a study, you know, many months from now, but in Hebrews chapter eight, it speaks of a better covenant. In Christ, you have a better relationship than even the people in the Old Testament had. And they had some really cool relationships with God. But in Christ, it's better. The new covenant is based on better promises. It's better because it's the work of God in you and through you, not dependent upon you. You know, I, I popped that phrase into the computer. I popped the phrase in Christ into my Bible program and came up with 80 plus statements in the bible about being in christ and so if you email me pastor ed at calvaryaurora.org i'll send you that pdf and it'll save us some time from printing it so we'll just send it to you and you can print it and you can just go through every day you know for 80 plus uh, verses that'll take you two and a half months every day to meditate on the beauty of being in christ but let me give you a few just for our time today in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, we've been justified freely. According to Romans chapter 6, we are now dead to sin. It doesn't have the same power over us anymore. In Christ, Romans six twenty-three, I have eternal life and the hope of heaven. Romans chapter 8, verse 39, in Christ, I will never be separated from the love of God. That's a good one. I'll never be separated from the love of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 5, in Christ, I'm now a part of a new family. I've been adopted into a new body of believers. Now we all, of all the backgrounds that we have and all the things we back, you know, the past that we have, all the bad mistakes, where we were born, what our nationality is, color of our skin, doesn't matter what separates us on the outward. In Christ, we're one big family. And we have Jesus Christ in common. It doesn't matter where you go in the world. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter where, when you find a believer, you've got family. Immediately, because we share in Christ a family around the world, behind us and ahead of us. In Romans chapter 15, verse 8, in Christ I have hope. I have hope. We take that one for granted. But my hope is in Christ, not in this world. My hope is in Christ, not in government, not in politics, not in a president, in a mayor. I, my hope is not in man. The Bible actually teaches me that it's foolish to put my hope and trust in man. In Christ I have hope. Romans chapter 15 verse 17, in, in Christ I have reason to glory. I have a reason to live. I have a reason to serve and live my life to the fullest. First Corinthians chapter one in verse two, in Christ I'm sanctified. That's a Bible word that means I've been set apart to be changed, and every single day that I live, God is changing me and conforming me into the image of Jesus Christ. Even my worst days are used by God, because nothing is wasted by God. Because in Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, God is working all things together for the good. All of it, nothing's wasted. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, in Christ I'm a new person. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The moment you were born again, you received all of Jesus Christ into your life. And every day since then, you're becoming conformed a little bit more into the image of Jesus Christ. And so I was... Uh, reminded today, both by uh, a few people in email and also on my calendar, it popped up on my calendar to remind me that today I turned 28 years old. I'm 28. Because on February 20th, 1991, on a Wednesday night in the back row of Calvary Chapel Downey, and after I was invited up, actually it was up at the stage, I was born again, and so who knows about this time, maybe in an hour or so, we know the exact time, I didn't keep track of all that, but from that moment, thinking this through, all of those truths became mine, It's 28 years ago. All of these truths, they're all mine, same with you, and yet for those that aren't in Christ, for those who don't have Jesus in their lives, who aren't born again, the Bible paints such a stark contrast. It's, it's clear as black and white. If you don't have Jesus today, you're messed up and you're not getting better. It's getting worse. Your life is filled with confusion, guilt, bondage, neglect, and a boatload of condemnation. That's why in our day and age, we're seeing the numbers of suicide rise to epic proportions, hopelessness, because there is no where to turn in this world that's gonna give you the kind of satisfaction that comes from Jesus Christ. That's why there's a whole new category of activity among, among kids today, among, and it's not just kids, but primarily kids that, that we didn't see growing up, and that's this whole activity of self-harm cutting and all kinds of things. That, that wasn't an issue. Uh, we had a lot of issues growing up, but that wasn't one of them. Not in my high school. But it's a epic, epic proportions. Why we're living in a society that's calling good evil and evil good, where those that we voted in and entrusted or not voted in and some in society voted in are making decisions that are hurting society and making things worse. And just in case there might be a politician listening in, no matter what the party, makes no difference to me. If you think drugging society is going to solve every problem, you're not connected to the vine. You don't, you're not hearing from Jesus Christ. It's one of the worst things that can possibly happen is to take away the sensitivity and the clarity of mind from someone. To give them some, some temporary reprieve. And I don't care what they're saying. I don't care what new fake phony um, new documentation there. Marijuana is, will be, and forever will be a gateway drug. It's not the end, it's the beginning of something really, really bad. Whether it's legal or not makes no difference. Even things that are legal can hurt you really bad. You see, when you're not in Christ, you make really bad decisions. And you keep loads and loads of condemnation. That's why by the time someone came to share the gospel with me, they did not in any way need to explain to me the issue of sin or my own sin. They didn't have to come to me with a list of a hundred sins, the Bible, and hope that one of them hits my soul. While I wouldn't use the word sin, and nor did I use the word sin, I did know of the bad behavior in my life. I was well aware of it when the alcohol would wear off, when I'd end up home, when I'd wake up face down, somewhere in the city, because I did something so bad to my friends that they pulled the car over, opened the door, and kicked me out, and I found my way home. Because there was one thing about me, apart from Christ, that I couldn't get away from. I was always waking up with me and the worry and anxiety and the concern that i had in my life of another night drinking myself into darkness you know drinking myself out and waking up and wondering what did i do and finding out what i did and going i just i just can't believe it what kind of person am i and and then at a young age and I speak this for the sake of someone listening in, because especially those that listen in jail, you know, in jail, you kind of feel like you've thrown your life away and you've convinced yourself that you've thrown your life away. It doesn't have to be jail, but, you know, there was a, at a young age, I just resolved that I'm done. I'm, it's over. I've thrown my life away. I, it's it's going to end a lot earlier than I ever expected, so I might as well go out strong. And I was fully convinced surrounded with people that love me, even with a son and a wife. Didn't matter. Why? Because I wasn't in Christ. I was in Ed. And being in Ed is a bad place to be. And you don't want to be in this world, living for this world, thinking that this is where your source of satisfaction will be. It will only bring condemnation. That's why when you're in the flesh, condemnation messes with your head because you've lost the sense of being in Christ. It doesn't change your status as a believer, being in the flesh. It just makes you closer to the life that you lived before you were saved. On top of that, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life, not letting you get away with anything. And wooing you and drawing you and convicting you to bring you back to where? In Christ, the place of safety, the place of knowing Your security in him. The place of strength. See, Jesus put it this way and jot it down in John chapter 3 verse 19. This is the condemnation. That light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's the condemnation. Condemnation is not in Christ. It's apart from Christ. And if you're here today and you haven't been born again, today is the day. Now is the time. A life of surrender. I don't know where you think your life is going to end. But the Bible says, apart from Christ, your life is going to end eternally separated from God. And that will be your just reward. As we were talking to that brother on the radio today, talking about the fairness of God and the justness of God. Make no mistake about it. God is fair and God is just. And he's the one that sacrificed his own son on behalf of our sin, a sinless God, meeting us in our helpless estate. Why? Because he loves us and he's still patient with us. That he might rescue us from ourselves. I think it's condemnation can enter into our lives at times because we forget we forget the bondage that sin holds and how easy it is to walk away from his faithfulness if just in our minds. Would you turn over to John chapter 8 with me? I want, I want, you, I want to introduce you and reintroduce you to a woman. And you know, this woman in John chapter 8, she was caught in the very act in the very act, which is a very humiliating place to be. The act, well, it was a sexual act. Uh, The Bible speaks of it with the word adultery, which means she was having sex with a man outside of marriage. And by the time they reached Jesus with her, understand that the act of adultery, the act of sexual sin, by the time this woman reached Jesus and they bring her to drag her into his presence, I don't want you to miss this. By the time she gets to Jesus, the act of adultery is in her past. She was caught in the act, but it took some time to get her from the act, which by the way, she was set up. She was set up to be used as a pawn which is what religion does, uses people. And the religious rulers set her up. No doubt, knowing her background perhaps, or she might have been in that realm, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. She was used and abused, and that's always a sin. And by the time they get her to the presence of Jesus, the act is in the past. She's no longer engaged in that sinful act. And yet, in the commotion, you know, you think about this, It says in verse 1, John chapter 8, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught. And the scribes and Pharisees, now verse 3, brought him a woman caught in adultery, and they had set her in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. We read that in a very clean, sterile environment tonight but it was not clean or sterile. It was a very messy, it was a very tumultuous, probably loud, she's disheveled. Uh, It doesn't even speak of her being covered up, but I hope that she was. And they bring her, tears streaming, their faces fixed with anger. Not at her, she's just a pawn, they're abusing her. They want Jesus, they wanna take him out. And so they bring this poor defenseless woman that they set up, and perhaps they set her up because she trusted them, because they were religious rulers. And might I just add and remind you, abuse in any form in the church of Jesus Christ is a sin. It is not from God. It is not God's will for any pastor, any lay leader, or anyone in the church of Jesus Christ to perpetrate abuse of any kind on you, male or female, especially in the name of God. And here she is, used and abused. And it says in verse five, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, which, if they really believed what Moses said, they would have done it already. But they didn't, because notice it says, what do you say? And this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. And so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up, and said, he was without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down, verse 8, and wrote on the ground, and those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. You see, they had past sin too. And they're living in the present sin because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as he's riding down on the ground, they're still not repentant. The religious rulers still aren't changing. She's not getting any attention right now. He's dealing with them. And notice in verse 10, when Jesus has raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, and listen to these words, those of you that battle condemnation. Listen to them, no matter the sin. Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you go and sin no more. Receive those words. Neither do I condemn you. Circle them, underline them, highlight them. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's what all that she needed. Here's the thing with condemnation. I don't know why but sometimes I argue with God because I can hear the voice of Jesus saying to me neither do I condemn you Ed, go and sin no more and yet I condemn myself or allow others to condemn me perhaps some of you have found yourself in that same place Jesus says neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more I forgive you past, present, and future, I forgive you. In Christ, you're forgiven. Isaiah says in the old covenant, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me for I've redeemed you. David says in Psalm 103, he has not dealt with us according to our sins nor punished us according to our iniquities for as the heavens are high above the earth, so is great his mercy toward us who fear him. Isaiah says again in Isaiah 43, verse 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, God says, and I will not remember your sins. Peter says in Acts chapter three, verse 19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And Paul says, there's therefore now, say it with me, No condemnation. Say it again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So answer this question for me. Are you in the building tonight? Yes. Are you in Christ tonight? Yes. It's that simple. In Christ there's no condemnation. So let's leave here today with a few practical tips. About living in Christ apart from condemnation. A few practicalities. Number one, don't confuse condemnation with conviction. Don't confuse condemnation with conviction because they're two very different things. Conviction of sin is a good thing. And it's from God. And we need that. It's wholesome. It's valuable, the conviction of sin. And yet the condemnation of the law brings death. The condemnation we bring upon ourselves brings death. The conviction of the Holy Spirit brings life and correction. You can put it this way in a very simple way. You know it's conviction of sin when it draws you to God, and you can know it's the condemnation of your flesh, the enemy, and even the law trying to live up to some standard or someone else's standard. You know it's condemnation when it leads you away from God. You could put it this way, some men and women are not with us tonight simply because tonight they're under the weight of condemnation. And this would not be an attractive place for people under the weight of condemnation because you'll misunderstand everything that God says and you'll interpret it. It's like condemnation is like putting on the glasses of condemnation. I see everything through these glasses. So everything you would say or show me would have to be seen. And when you put on the glasses of condemnation, even the best encouragement is misinterpreted. When God wants to free you, and at times God wants to free you, like Jesus says, even as he's ministering to this precious woman, he still tells her it was sin. Don't do it. Leave it behind you. I mean, that, that, that's a verse pregnant with meaning, isn't it? You know, don't get caught up in this anymore. This life isn't good for you. You know what the law says. You know what the, thing, he, I mean, it's pregnant with meaning, but it was enough for whatever was in that eye contact with Jesus, Whatever it was that moment. What, however everything calmed down, when everybody left and it was just Jesus and this woman under the weight of condemnation, has no one condemned, well, I'm not condemning you either, but go and sin no more. Be careful between conviction and condemnation because the Holy Spirit will never condemn you. Never. The enemy of our souls, he's the accuser of the brethren. Number two, don't confuse condemnation and conviction. Now, number two, when you're convicted of sin, repent. When you are feeling the weight of conviction, repent. You can say and say and say and still never really mean it. True repentance will lead you away from that sin. That's what repentance means. The first step toward repentance is confession. Seeing something like God does. And this is what the Bible says in 1 John 1, 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness confession, repentance. If you're struggling in this area, here's some homework. Read Psalm 51 and let the Holy Spirit use Psalm 51. It's often referred to as the Psalm of Repentance. Written by David who had much to repent from. God will empower you and help you and strengthen you. Number three, something that will help you in this area is know, K-N-O-W, know and believe And act on God's word. I know it's simple. But when you hear something, do it. For example, you have heard tonight the life-giving message of Romans chapter 8 verse 1. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. You've concluded, we've concluded for those of you that answered me. Either out loud or even silent in your heart. Because you want to say it out loud. That's fine. When I asked you if you were in Christ, you said yes. Yes. So you agree with that verse, now take the promise, and the promise is there's no condemnation. And, and you know where you're at right now, because you might even be in your mind mentally arguing with me, say, but Ed, but Ed, but Ed, but it's not about Ed, God said there's no condemnation for you. So it's not even about me at all, or not even about you, it's about him. And the freedom he wants to give you tonight, as he looks at you, and he says, well, is?" anyone condemned you and fortunately you can't necessarily answer that question no like the woman because there are always voices in our lives that seem to know how to live our lives better than we live our own and so you might even say well yeah I got a few people condemning right now okay be careful it's not the conviction of the Holy Spirit but even if there is Jesus would still say to you I'm not condemning you go and sin no more and the simplicity of the Bible is that it's life-giving. It's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So it makes sense that you wouldn't have a Bible with you tonight to keep you away from it. It makes sense that you wouldn't read it in the morning. It makes sense that if you use your phone to read it because that's convenient for you, that right when you're reading it, a text message pops up. And then you answer the text message. Then it takes you to Instagram. Then you start working up And before you know it, you've got to go to work. And you go, well, I'll get it at break. But then you've got a phone call at break. And then you're going to eat. And then where's my phone? Where's my, you know, it it makes sense to separate you from the life-giving words of the scriptures. Because if you don't hear the word, you won't know the word. And if you don't know the word, you won't act on the word. And God has made things so easy for us. He doesn't say you need to be a scholar and have a degree and go to seminary. Just read the Bible. He doesn't even say you need to understand it. Just read it and do it you go, but what if I don't understand it? And then it'll drive you to God to ask him. So you're going to win either way. So I don't know what that word means. Lord, what does that word mean? And you can hear from heaven, look it up. <laughs> and you just learn how to look up words. Well, I don't like working up words. Well, start liking it. Because there's a lot of resources where you can look up words. But you don't want to make excuses. Because it'll just make things worse for you. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have access by faith. Obey that word. Come in and take the access. John chapter five, verse 24 Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. This is for everyone that doubts that they're saved. Jesus said, if you hear my word and believe in him who sent me, you have everlasting life. You're saved. Yeah, but I don't know if I'm saved. Believe God's word. God says if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you're saved. So live as a saved person. We live by what God has said in his word because his word is life. We don't live by our feelings. We don't live by our experiences. You know, I think of Noah. You know, think of Noah. What a great example in the hall of faith. Noah, he built the ark out of obedience, not understanding. He had no idea and concept of what a flood was, let alone a drop of rain. He just heard God's word and he did it and they mocked him and they made fun of him and who knows what he felt and what he thought but he obeyed. He didn't build the ark out because he felt like it. He built it because God commanded him and I wonder at any time did he feel silly building this big boat in a time where the world hasn't even seen a drop of rain. I wonder if Joan, his wife, you know Joan of Arc, you get that? Thank you. I wonder if his wife ever pointed a finger and said, you're crazy. Get that thing out of the front yard. (laughs) That was good. (laughs) But see, Noah gives us the example. He heard, he believed, and he acted. That will change your life. And finally, number four, And again, we'll get into this in our next study. But one of the areas to help you with condemnation is no more looking back. No more looking back. We'll sum that up in our next Bible study together. But we receive this word. And I encourage you to read it this week, to memorize it, to believe it and live it. And that is, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ, to those that live, to those that surrender, to those that abide in Christ. The abiding life does not lead to condemnation. It leads to victory and freedom and a remembrance of all that God has done on our behalf. Amen? Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to make, <clears throat> to make these truths come alive That there is life in your word. And so, as these things are declared to us, we have been given life tonight. And we ask for your strength to live out the truths that are already ours. Even like being in this building, um, we're in it. And we have all the benefits of being in it. We're here. And as we're in Christ, we have all the benefits of being in Christ. But God, I pray for those that are not in Christ, who are in a miserable state of condition, who, although they may not relate directly with my testimony, they have their own testimony of the difficulty of life separated from you. And I pray by the, by the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit in this place that you would draw them through the work of conviction even now to you that you would release them from the bondages in their lives and that you would draw them to repentance on the finished work of Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed on Calvary through the power of his resurrection and new life, that freedom would reign from this day forward and that, like me, 28 years ago, today would be the beginning of a glorious future for those that come to you today. And I would say if that's you and you're here today, you're listening to me on the radio or watching online, maybe even downstairs, watching in the overflow areas, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I invite you to obey him by confessing with your mouth the belief in your heart that you have that Jesus Christ died for you and rose again, that, that God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ into this world for you. Why, because he loves you. And it's time. It's time to respond. The Bible puts it this way, today, if you hear his voice, today. And I wanna strongly encourage you, not for any emotional reasons, but for reality. For reality. You don't know what a day's gonna bring you don't know if you have life tomorrow. And so while God has your attention, if you're here and you'd say, Ed, I need the forgiveness of my sins and I want to confess Jesus Christ as my Savior, would you stand to your feet? I want to pray with you and help you and come alongside of you so that today would be the day And now would be the time. Is there anyone here that would say, that's me? It's a battle, isn't it? doesn't even make sense. It seems foolish. And yet the Bible predicts that. That the cross of Jesus Christ is foolishness to those that don't believe. And so you're processing it and you're thinking it through. But I have the privilege of declaring to you that Jesus Christ is alive. I've experienced his life is transforming work in my life, let alone seeing it in so many more people over the years. And so don't take your life into your own hands. Surrender it to the God who loves you. And just for the sake of those that might be on the radio or those listening in because you were recommended this message and it spoke to you and you're at a kitchen table somewhere in your car got earbuds in wherever you are that you can ask God to forgive you of your sins right now you could say God I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of my sins because of the finished complete work of Jesus Christ it's because of grace that I come to you today and I believe that you sent Jesus to live for me die for me, and I believe he rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I'm asking you, God, for that full, complete forgiveness, past, present, and future. And I want to be in Christ, beginning tonight. And Father, I know anyone that would come to you and pray, according to your word, you accept and receive them. And so I just hope it's the real deal and that they would leave, they would take the next breath and do the next thing by faith, and that you would bring people into their lives, you would bring resources into their lives, that they might follow you, read your Bible and pray every day. And help us in this realm of condemnation, God, that we might walk not with regret, but by victory in you. In Jesus' name, amen.